Now he may have got into this rep for five, $6,000 with that 72 buyer or 72 borrower, the original borrower, and says, listen, I'm going to give you five grand. You move out, we'll make things happen. I'll pay for everything. So that that first initial investor, me, I'm out five grand. I sell to Scott, the new borrower. He gives me $25,000 down. I'm now positive 20 grand. Mm-hmm. Investor Nathan comes in as a note buyer and says, listen, I see you have a $125,000 lien and a $50,000 first. I'll pay off the first, but I'll pay you $75,000 for the, your $125,000 loan. I now pay, he'll pay off the first for 50. He's now into a $75,000 first lien now for $25,000 at a 10% yield. Marshall, I'm thinking that would probably kind of solve your question there. And why would anyone do that? I think the yield would probably. As always, subscribe and click the notification bell on our YouTube channel. Be active on our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing. And be sure to go to our website for all your note investing tools, resources, and available assets. If you have any questions, email us at tradedesk at jkpholdings.com. Hey, everybody. This is Dave Putz from JKP Holdings. Alongside me, as always, Mr. Nathan Turner. How are you, man? Good morning. You're doing very well. Doing very well. Awesome. I'm glad to see you connect for a few minutes. I know that we've been talking a lot lately. Um, it's it's interesting that uh, as worlds connected, and uh, we've been doing this for almost two years now, which is shocking. Yeah, um, we just kind of discovered that the other day, and we're like, oh man, it's been a while. I guess. Wow, <laughs> how about that? It's been great. It's been cool. We've had some awesome guests on, uh, which yeah. we'll get to in a minute. The uh, one we're having on today, um, but we're we're excited about a few things that we got going on before we get into that. Some housekeeping and stuff. Um, first and foremost, uh, for those who have not signed up, Nathan is live with Demest- uh, Diversified Mortgage Expo. So DME yes. is going to be in Nashville this year yeah. in June. Um, I encourage you guys to go take a look at it. It's going to be like no other note conference you've been to before. It's bridging the gap between note buyers yeah. and note originators. Yeah, one of my major things about the whole conference is I want buyers and sellers to come together and, and not just like, hi, how are you? Like I'm talking, we're going to make deals. I want you to be walking away and saying, okay, so Monday morning, send me over the collateral file and I'll review it. And then within a week we'll, we'll close kind of thing. Like I want deals to, to really come out of this. So I'm excited to bring that together besides being a ton of fun. It's Nashville. It's going to be a really great time. So Axe throwing and everything to be really cool thing. So I think that what we're trying to do is bridge, put a break between two different groups of people, right? Originators, rap loan creators, as well as note buyers, but we don't know how each other work. So we're going to get into what we're going to talk today about, but we're feeling that this is the world we're going to live in for the next period of time because the returns are great for both sides. Returns are great. And then uh, with rising interest rates, people can't qualify for a bank. Banks have this you know, very narrow window of, of what they can and cannot do. Um, when you're dealing with people rather than banks, you'll find they're far more flexible. Uh, and that interest rate may not get any better for you. It probably even is a little bit worse, but you'll be able to afford a home. And that's, uh, that's really what the originators bring to the table. So 
Absolutely. I, I love that side of the business. I, I've done a bunch of rib originations. That's how I started in notes. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of come full circle and start talking about, to a bunch of these originators now again. Let's, and before we get there, uh, Nathan and I do run a advanced note uh, investing weekly class. For those who are not familiar with the class about, we talk about, of course, the big big one is the big calculator. We work with a non-performing big calculator that you can literally plug and play tomorrow and get working, not a simple performing calculator, which we do teach, but we talk about that. We talk about due diligence, systems, managing your systems, managing your providers, uh, and those who joined the uh, classes have been blown away in their experience investors too joining us. Yeah, and that's the thing where, you know, we're not looking for necessarily fresh off the boat beginners. We're looking for people that have some education that have taken maybe a class or two, read a couple of books, whatever it's been, but they have some kind of education behind them or even a little bit of experience. Um, we wanna take those people and really help them ramp it up because this is a fantastic business, but you have to know what you're doing. And yeah. more education, the better. And we're running into too many people who just don't get it, right? They, A, don't know the math, which yeah. is crucial in the space, right? Yeah. We talk about don't bidding on BPO or UPB because it's a byproduct. And it really takes out the calculations of the, the note, which is what you're buying. You're buying a note. So we talk about a lot of that stuff. And the non-performing calculator is very, very big because yeah. you're including states differences, including timeline differences and costs, statute limitations, everything that comes into play. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. So educate yourself because yeah, this is not Absolutely. real estate. We've said that over and over again. This is not real estate. This is attached to real estate. This is adjacent yeah. to real estate. It's related to real estate, but it's not. Yes, yes. So if you are originating notes, I hopefully you get the note math. If you don't, let us know. If you're a note buyer and you don't get the math, let us know. Yeah. But what we're trying to do today is really bridge the gap by bringing in somebody who's extremely experienced that could talk for probably three days about this topic. Um, that this, I'm bringing him in, and we're screaming him in now. Scott Horn is from Texas, and he's been dealing with originating notes and loans and things like that and all other facets, which we'll bring him back on for, for years and years. So, Scott, thank you and welcome to our yeah. Friday Live. Glad well, to great you. to be here, guys. The topic that I love to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only thing I love talking more about that that's more fun is me. And I'm kidding. No. Uh, this awesome. is good. So we wanted to know, first of all, like where, where did you come from? How did you get into what you're doing now and what's kind of been your progression? And you'd realize that's a two day conversation, right? <laughs> we try to keep it to around five minutes or so. <laughs> so real quick, I'm a uh, civil engineer undergrad who went to law school because I graduated when I was 20 years old and I wasn't ready to grow up yet. Right. And uh Went to law school, got my law degree with close to practice law, got a job. And this goes back before y'all's time, probably to 1984, 85. And you may remember what happened then, which was probably one of the, a huge real estate crash that went on. But my one job I had lasted for a whole year. And I was a, in a real estate development company as an in-house counsel. And when you're coming out in the street, what you don't realize when you're a young kid, no one's hiring in the middle of a major recession. 
you know, uh, at least not in, in, in my world, they weren't. And you've got to figure out what you want to do. And I go through the litany of things on how I started learning things from making creative offers on properties, just trying to figure something to do to property management, which is really where I learned to do things. And, um, you know, when I, when I teach classes here in the Texas marketplace, I often tell people, you know, I went out and I put together a hundred duplexes to buy at one time, put together the money, everything that we call it a syndication when you marry it all together. And, uh, then they changed the tax laws then just cratered everything in the market. And of course that deal died. Well, most people would just walk away. And instead, I just called the banks who were foreclosing on this stuff, asked them what they were going to do, and they needed help. And they hired me to be their property manager for these 100 duplexes. Of course, I had never managed anything in my entire life. Spent the next three weeks in the SMU Law Library trying to read up and learn how to do it. And back in those days, guys, we had to use this novel thing called a typewriter to type your own leases and all this kind of stuff. And when you do that, you learn it. The ingrains in your head. Mm -hmm. Anyway, one thing to the next over the next many years in the commercial real estate world, trying to figure things out. What you don't realize back then when you're young, real estate doesn't move in a real estate crash and recession. Mm -hmm. You simply don't know what you don't know. And anyway, got involved. Um, had a, a general contractor, a friend of mine, who was in one of these duplexes who I had met. We decided to buy our first house. We got a private lender to do it, put it together, and, and sold it. That was the first deal we did. Uh, down the road, I had a young man come in my office one day and ask me if I knew what equity was under FHA. We kind of hooked up, and we started buying houses back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, using what is now known as hard money. Of course, back then, it wasn't called hard money. Mm -hmm. And we were only doing one or two houses a year, and we were learning the business. And over time, we built and grew that, where we were actually, by about 1992, we were buying 20-plus houses a month and rehabbing. And when you're doing that, what you learn real quick is when you're buying 20 houses every month, they're all rehabs. You can't sell them for cash, you know, the next month. That take time, and by course, by the time you do two or three months, you've got 60 houses in portfolio that are in some form of construction or marketing. And what you learn is you learn the creative finance game. And back then, we were able to do things such as lease options, lease purchases, contract for deeds. And we found a mechanism to get our properties income producing. And uh, we would generate mortgages that we would hold in escrow. And we learned the the note game back then. Uh, fun story is, I don't know if, if you know the name Ken D'Angelo or not. Mm -hmm. Ken is the guy who started Homevestors, was here in Dallas. And so we were flipping houses back and forth with Ken and we'd sit around, we'd just brainstorm and how to, how to do things, how to make things happen, which is what we all try to do in our industry, right? As investors, how can we buy notes better, houses better, whatever it might be. And anyway, we would put together the system. We started selling notes. And we didn't even know we could sell notes back in those days. And um, they were wraparound loans. But of course, when our note buyers would buy them, they'd pay off the underlying debt. And we were selling the whole note at that time. And you create a different strategy 
And we moved away from the retail world, almost 100% exclusive into the creative finance world of either buying homes with cash or our bank financing, doing our wrap loans, seasoning, and selling them into the secondary marketplace. And back in those days, we weren't doing a lot of creative finance deals on the front end of the transaction because you didn't have to. And over time, we became one of the largest providers of owner finance paper into the secondary marketplace. You learn that industry very well. Then, of course, we come across good old 2008, 2009, when the whole world came in around our ears again, which is what really changed a lot of things as they changed more compliance issues, et cetera. The banking world changed quite a bit. And the creative finance world really started to blossom at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And along the way, this is where the, what they call buying homes subject to the existing debt came into play, uh, buying with a wraparound, seller financing. And then a lot of people were also selling the homes using wraparound mortgages. Because I know one of the things that you guys are running into, right? In 2012, 2013, you know, they start changing here in Texas. Our property code is changing to adapt for this a little bit. The SAFE Act is initiated. Good old Dodd-Frank is initiated, which actually covers us smaller people as a small creditor. And you have to start to adapt to those items. Prior to that, the loan servicing game didn't exist for owner finance paper. Wow. Prior to that, the RMLO, the Residential Mortgage Loan Originator, didn't exist. Yes, we processed our buyers, but... We did it all internally, not utilizing the RMLO. And um, all of this started coming to, 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 to the forefront um, because of our what we do in the industry. We were the, the guys who initiated all those industries here in Texas from the loan servicing to the RMLO and started to push that out into our marketplace because nobody was doing and we started to teach people here how to do this business and why it works. And I believe that, of course, I love the, the creation of the owner finance note and the sale of the note. I think it's one of the best ways to generate wealth out there. I like it much better than the riddle game, 10 times better than the fix and flip game. And it just depends, of course, on who you are. Do you want to originate the note and hold it? Or do you want to buy the note? And of course, there's time issues yeah. and things like that involved. So along the way of all those kind of things, we became Texas's largest hard money lender uh, up through 2009, where obviously that quit for a while, back in that game again. And today we we are one of the foremost law firms that closes creative finance transactions, not only here in the Texas marketplace, but we're now national, helping people close these deals. We do loan processing and underwriting on a national level. We have a loan servicing company. So we, we play the legal side, the title side nationally. We are in the origination game as well. Uh, the lending game, we're home builders here. So we kind of do everything that's vertically integrated within the scope of this uh, residential real estate investment industry. Wow. And all that means with all that stuff I just laid out, there's some 7,700 houses or so that we have done to date. You know, it just gives you a wide knowledge base of our industry and what's out there. And I heard you guys talk about some things earlier because you, know, you are talking about buying notes from banks. 
Now, I don't know who those banking clients were, if they're traditional A plus high credit or not, that might be defaulted mortgages or those kind of things. Or I don't know if you're buying paper such as the investor paper, as I'll call it out there along the way. So there's you a brief history as fast as I can give you a brief history about <laughs> going on ad nauseum. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's awesome. And for those who are curious, we are streaming LinkedIn, Facebook. So I'm just kind of managing that stuff. And inside uh, the Facebook Live is a link. If you want to get Scott's information or ask questions, I have a link in there. Uh, you put quick quick form and we will provide you Scott's information. Um, we're going to focus today on the rap loan world which really wasn't involved up to a couple of years ago. And we're finding out how big it is. It is tremendously large. Um, and what they're doing, some are doing it right, but most aren't refining. And let's start with the fact that most RAP loans are, are done with a you know, subject two situation or done with a subject two. And for definition, subject two is basically you're going to take over another borrower's debt and make payments on their behalf. So for whatever reason, a subject to owner who has equity typically in a property wants to get out of their property and in turn is willing to send it to Nathan as a buyer and transfer the, um, the property over to him and then allow him to make the payments. What would you say the proper way or is there a concern with the due on sale clause part of that first transaction? So let's start with due on sale. Mm -hmm. So if a, let's just talk about an investor who wants to buy a home and they're going to buy it subject to the existing debt, meaning that the seller's mortgage is being left in place. Number one, one thing that we teach and preach here very heavily is if you just don't buy that property, you give that seller back a deed of trust to secure and protect them. We're always wanting to protect our sellers out there because bad things happen to good investors all the time. Yeah. And sometimes you just can't provide the seller a deed in lieu. No, but you want to make sure they're protected because if you don't do that, you may be buying a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So when we do a subject to type transaction and there is a mortgage, the great majority of those mortgages have what is called a due on sale clause. And guys, due on sale means just what it means. It means when you sell the property, you're supposed to pay off your mortgage loan. Mm -hmm. Well, over the years, from what I understand, that clause has kind of morphed to mean many, many other things. You know, it says that if you're, you transfer this property into a trust and you assign the beneficial interest of the trust, due on sale comes in. Um, obviously, if you do a wraparound and you sell it in that format, even though you are still a liable party on that note, which is what the bank cares about, and the bank is still in first lien position, they can still call the loan due. I don't understand that, guys. I would love to get the the, the logic behind these banks calling a due on sale loan when they're still first lien position mm -hmm. and her borrower is still in is still their borrower. Nothing has changed. Yeah. Why is this an issue? I don't know that answer. Which why do they care? They're getting a I, payment. Like mortgage companies care. Your small commercial banks, they get it. And I have two parties for repayment in that regard. Mm -hmm. They love it. But anyway. It, that's that's one of those conundrums we may never know. 
Absolutely. So due on sale, I, I can talk about sometimes if you sign a lease for more than three years with your resident, it could be a potential due on sale. It's all about control, in my opinion, by the mortgage company. That's all it is. It's a control factor. Um, but along the way, I, I always ask two simple questions. We'll see how smart you guys are, okay? What does a mortgage company really want? Money. Money. Money time payment. That's it. Do you think they want to own a house? No, they don't have the bandwidth to do that. They're not. They, wow. That's why foreclosure was a problem for so many years. Yeah, mortgage companies are lenders. They yes. are not in the real estate business. And there's data out there that says when a mortgage company does foreclose on a home, they lose tens of thousands of dollars on average. Why would you want to do that? So, by the way, great answers, guys. And those are the universal answers across the board. Thumbs up, baby. Passed. Across the board, and it's common sense. And when you realize that, it helps you navigate that in your mind a little bit of how do on sale works. But it can still happen. It does happen. I will tell you in the some 10,000 plus deals that I've closed, I've only dealt with do on sale 10 times. Yeah. But what you we always have our clients understand is, is just because that might be my data. It doesn't mean the next time it's not going to happen. And even though I've been able to get around it through some various mechanisms, it doesn't mean you can get around it the next time. So there's always a risk factor that has to be considered as you go into these kind of transactions. And what that's all about is, is disclosure, which is one of the most important things to do when we're doing deals like that. So do on sale is always an issue for consideration if the mortgage loan is being left in place, doing a wraparound mortgage and things of that nature, okay? So I hope that explained due on sale. So correct. Yeah. And from what we've learned is the best way to get around it is to put the house in a trust and just change beneficiaries. Well, well, let's just talk about that. So when you're talking about putting the house in a trust, yeah. You're not that the what people don't understand is was where that comes from is what's called the Garn St. Germain Act, I think going back to 1980, that says a homeowner can convey their property into a financial planning trust. Okay. Well, you're not talking about financial planning trust, you're talking about a land trust mostly. Yeah. So is that really a financial planning trust? No. Now. We're not here to tell the mortgage company what we did or didn't do, which I understand. They can figure that out. And you convey the beneficial interest. I get it to the new um, the new buyer, who it might be. And they may not know about it. So it could be just fine. But if your goal is to buy that home, let's say subject to the existing debt, into a trust, and you're on the flip side, you're going to do a wraparound mortgage. Well, guess what? That wraparound mortgage is due on sale. Mm. So if it's a due on sale, why are you going to do it? No, you're not. So it's just understanding there is a time and a place for a trust, guys. Mm -hmm. And I know we're off topic here a little bit, but when you're looking at a buying a home subject to, I have no objection to putting the property into a trust if you're going to live there yourself personally, if you're going to buy it or lease it, or if you're going to do a fix and flip. Got it. But 
you're going to do a wraparound loan, I prefer not to put it into a trust. So there's a lot of this number that goes out in the marketplace. And, and my two cents as to why there is, is because somebody is trying to sell something to somebody to buy my land trust package. Oh, and here's how this works. And again, if you're going to lease the property, I agree with you. But if you're going to do a wraparound mortgage, which is what we're all here to talk about, mm -hmm. not a very wise thing to do. So what is the best? Is it just to keep the way it is? What's the best way to transfer <clears throat> ownership from the current borrower, the subject two person, to the buyer of that subject two? Well, again, it depends on who that buyer is. If the buyer is an investor, which is what it is yep. in most instances, you have to go back and ask the question, what is your back-end strategy? If it's fix and flip, live there, or rental, I'm okay with putting it into a land trust. Not a problem. But if you're going to do a wraparound mortgage, for instance, is all that we do uh, in my offices, then putting it into a trust, in my opinion, is just a waste of time. So we just buy it into our that? LLC and move on. Gotcha. Okay. So you, you're not afraid to do on sale calls, even though it's transferring from the borrower to the LLC? No, you go back to those two simple questions, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, when you do things right, you navigate insurance right, you make your payments timely, so you don't create an issue out there with somebody, the great odds are there's not going to be a problem. It doesn't mean there won't be a problem. It's just that I think you have some limitations out there that it won't become a problem. Yeah, and I remember this conversation coming up my very first no conference in 2009 and it's and it's I think it's been a conversation that goes around and around and around and and inevitably it all comes back to the same conclusion somebody says okay how many people have dealt with do on sale do on sale and no hands go up I mean yeah. it it does it happen obviously yes and it can but it's extremely rare so you know, I I do think it's rare yeah. But as a lawyer talking to a client, we can't say it will never happen. Sure, of course. In real life, it does happen. It has yeah. happened. Yeah. We have had to deal with it. Heck, twice to me. Yeah. One of my stories was, this is back in uh, probably 2013 or 14. I had a house I had bought in 2000. I financed it with a, a, a mortgage. I financed 50 houses at the same time as one mortgage company. Mm -hmm. They knew exactly what we were doing, but of course that bank or mortgage company sold to mortgage company A, that sold to another company B, and somehow my mortgages wound up with Wells Fargo and Chase. Now, of course, the original lender that I had agreements with, et cetera, everything was great. And this is 15 years later, perfect pay mm -hmm. history. Wells Fargo, in the middle of the real estate crash, calls one of my loans due. And I'm talking to this poor, young real estate attorney going, what the heck? You only have how many hundreds of thousands of defaulted mortgages and you're trying to call a fully performing loan due? Are you kidding? <laughs> anyway, I've never, I've never written my senator before. I was just yeah. that close to doing it, though. And it doesn't make sense. That's how, un, that's how the common sense just doesn't exist out there sometimes in the mortgage world. Absolutely. So we have some questions coming in from our feeds. Uh, first was about if a due on sale is triggered, what is the worst case scenario that you've gone through and how'd you resolve it? <clears throat> well, there are some things I, I talk about on air, some things I don't. I'll just tell you that um, there are 
potential ways to navigate uh, getting around that. It does involve putting the property into a trust eventually. It's just that it requires three times the paperwork to do that. Because if, if that comes out, they are going to require you to convey that property back to the original seller and, and provide evidence of that. And from there, that's when we utilize the trust and some of their mechanisms that help us to, to navigate that a little bit. And again, you know, there is no 110% guarantee of this anywhere you go. There's not 110% guarantee of anything that I know about. Mm -hmm. But we've been successful to navigate that the times I've had to deal with it out. Fortunately, it hasn't been that much. And it's just making certain that as investors who buy properties, know what you're doing day one not day two. Mm -hmm. Make sure your insurance is done right. Make sure your payments are done right. Get things brought current. Don't be stupid. And unfortunately, that's a dangerous word in the investor industry because a lot of investors, they are, they don't pay attention with what they need to be paying attention to. All right. So, so now let's say, so you've, you've gone through, you've created this, let's talk about creating a wrap. How, how are you doing that? What's, uh, what are some strategies surrounding that oh wow guys so <laughs> let's take a moment because th there are two ways to create that wrap or, or several ways and of course the underlying debt could be where there's an existing mortgage through let's say bank of america yeah abc mortgage whatever it might be company out there maybe it's your small commercial bank maybe it's a private lender okay mm. all that's great you still do the wraparound loan. Well, what anyone who is going to create a wraparound loan has to know is, first off, what does the SAFE Act say? Mm -hmm. Well, most states, you know, the SAFE Act says that you will incorporate a residential mortgage loan originator, which is a loan processor, into the equation so that you can provide your wrap buyer uh, the RESPA. And RESPA is the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. It's a federal law, and there's some 36 disclosures to be provided to the buyer. I can't do that. Y'all can't do that. We don't want to do it. You let the loan processor do it. And it's just like any traditional mortgage out there. And the SAFE Act also says you're supposed to incorporate a knowledgeable real estate attorney into the transaction. Mm -hmm. And But for Texas, most states, you do that on every single deal you do. Texas had a five property the benefits rule, it's now three, uh, but really it was never more than three because you have to comply with RESPA if you do more than three transactions in a 12-month period. And keep in mind, guys, we are talking about consumer loan, mm -hmm. not commercial loan. Uh, the difference is a commercial loan is business purpose, non-owner occupied. Consumer is owner occupied. The whole world gets you know, exacerbated when we deal with the consumer world, which is what we're really talking about out there. So you've got to understand the, the basic tenets of the SAFE Act. Then we have this animal called the Dodd-Frank Act. That we keep hearing about always, and it does apply to us because we are what they call a small creditor. Unless somebody out there is doing $5 billion a year and more in business, and if you are, you need to call us and talk to us We'd like to know who we are. <laughs> We're not a large creditor. So things are a little bit easier. But Todd Frank 
is there to protect the consumer from unscrupulous investors. We know that those guys are out there, unfortunately. And, you know, they have three levels of Dodd-Frank. They have QM, which is qualified mortgage. And we don't want to be there. That's where the banks live because they're lower interest. The next level is one called high cost. And that is where if you have an existing mortgage on the property, your annual percentage rate or the APR cannot exceed eight and a half percent over the APOR, which is the annual prime offer rate. Now, rarely does it does anything get that high. I've seen it a few times when the prime rate was really low, almost zero out there. You really had to look at that and understand uh, what was going on a little bit. And is that um, Texas specific? No, that's that's national. Okay. Bob Frank is national. But the and, 8%, um, pardon me? The 8% over APR is that? Yeah, that's national. Eight and a half percent over the okay. APOR. And that's a, okay. there's an index that comes out every Tuesday that you can look mm -hmm. up online. And okay. will that override usury laws? Uh, probably not. But okay. usually to a consumer, is going to be an 18% interest rate, at least here in Texas. Right. Correct. There's some states are 10 and 12. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, if you go beyond a 12% rate here in Texas, there's some additional disclosures you need to provide the borrower. That is what, that's the RMLO's job to do along the way. Okay. And that's just part of the, the, the RESPA and, and here in Texas, the yeah. Constitution scenario to do that. Um. The, the next level of that is one called high price. And if you get to that category, which guys, that's really hard to get there, you know, then you have to have your borrower go online, take a FHA, a, 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 an FHA course, I believe, and get a certificate. And although I've never done that, I've never even looked at it because I don't ever intend to go that high. But I think the certificate says, hi, I'm an idiot for letting you sell me a house at such a high interest rate. But it's one of those kind of things you want to do to ensure you cover your rear end out there because things yeah. can happen. Mm -hmm. So from there, you understand the levels of Dodd-Frank. The, the most important thing with Dodd-Frank is what we call the ATR rule, the ability to repay. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, the buzzwords are, we as an investor, a seller, must consider and verify the borrower's financial information provided to ensure that they have the ability to repay the loan. In other words, common sense, guys. Yeah. You've got a 35% debt to income ratio, you're probably okay. If you've got a 70% debt to income ratio, you're probably not okay. <laughs> and I've seen this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, uh, and whatnot. So there's a common sense scenario we have to think about along the way. And it's not hard. And if you learn, just you just don't push the numbers. But we're right. running into people, me Nathan, <clears throat> who are not using RMLOs, not underwriting loans at all, and not servicing notes, which we'll get to. But for those who are watching, what are the penalties? If you know, if you take well, what we're hearing people is they get find a property subject to wrap it, which we'll get into what you need to wrap it, but then selling it with. 20% down and running up a mortgage note and then walking. Yep. Well, so first off, as you do that, um, I'm trying to get my head around this. So first off, under the Dodd-Frank Act, 
-hmm. And this is this is it's a little it's not complicated, but for instance, RESPA says if you do more than three transactions in a 12-month period, you're you're under RESPA. You must provide these disclosures. Safe Act says if you do one, you must provide it. Forget that three rule, gotta do it. But to be under Dodd Frank, it says you have to do five or more transactions, more than five transactions in a 12-month period. Mm -hmm. You do less than five and you originate the deal, are you okay under Dodd-Frank? The, the odds are you're probably not under Dodd-Frank. So you may not have to follow those rules per se. But by the way, you may not follow Dodd-Frank, but you're supposed to follow the safe acts, okay? Um, and so it's understanding those kind of things. We recommend and suggest it doesn't matter how many you do, follow these rules and regulations every time. It's how you protect yourself. It's how you protect yourself from yourself, because mm -hmm. we all move too fast sometimes. And the I, I don't really know what the penalty is per se, other than the fact that if you go through a foreclosure, could this person come back and say, you knowingly, excuse me, sold me a property, you took my down payment knowing I couldn't afford this house. You did this knowing I was going to default. And so could that really happen? <clears throat> and you can play that over your head in front of a judge, right? And there are people out there that do that. I've never seen a, a lawsuit filed against an investor for something like that per se. But I don't know if that's out there or not. I've never seen that. But the key is, is just be smart. <clears throat> so now let me make another comment up. also. Yeah. So you buy a, someone buy, an investor sells a home to a home buyer. They get 20% down. The guy's moving the property. They're making their payments. Mm -hmm. Years go by. How many years? I don't know. Here in Texas, we have a four-year statute of limitations. There comes a point in time when you can't complain about a few things because you, you've been doing it for too long now. Sure. Also, the fact that they had money down is evidence that they had the ability to do a few things. They've been making their payments in a reasonable and timely fashion. I hope for a pay history of some sort that, that can be verified. And, and you roll from there. You know, one of the nice things is, is today when you use a loan servicer, you have an independent third-party company to help you verify the payments are being made. Uh, just like if you're buying a loan from a, a mortgage company or a bank, they provide you a pay history, I'm sure, that is verifiable and it comes in from a legitimate company source. Now, here in my offices, we have our software that allows us to print out a pay history and we can demonstrate when they pay. Are they paying on time? Are they paying late? Are they paying more than 30 days late? And you can demonstrate those things, which we as investors, if you're buying a note, you want to know those kind of things to make an informed decision. And it's if you see these notes out there, being originated, and there is no processing. I think it's just being cautious. Maybe it is, it's hard to go back and reconstruct the deal. So it's kind of hard to put the baby back, you know, once it's born, but, um, and it's done. And if you're buying this property from an investor, maybe there's some risks to navigate. I don't know what that risk is per se. But um, 
It's just being wise, maybe asking that investor seller to provide you some evidence as much as possible. And gosh, I go back to guys to 1992, 30, that 30 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that old, but originally we just took an application only. We didn't get verifications of employment or rent. We didn't get W-2s. Until we started selling our first note package, we went, oh my gosh, we get how much more money by having a what we call a pretty package, yeah. fully documented with your, from your collateral package sure. perspective, which is important out there. Yeah. And again, for for the investor who does the these loan originations, we're going to do that every time, no matter what, just because it does help you maximize dollars in the market. So let's back up for a second, right? If someone here is going to buy a 72 property, because for our note buyers, for ourselves, we're going to try, we're going to get to the end here for note buyers here, but for someone who's going to buy a 72 and get that transfer over to them, we've been told you need a power of attorney and paperwork or that. What are some of the items, like on a list of what people should gather together from the subject to borrower to transfer to the investor who's going to wrap the note? What should they, what kind of documents should they collect? Okay, so we're talking about acquisition of property, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. From that original. So letter. for instance, here in our law firm, and we close these transactions nationally for everybody because we like to make sure there's proper disclosures out there. And that everybody goes into these deals with their eyes wide open. Due on sale, number one. And of course, we want to make sure that our seller understands that they're still liable on that debt until it's paid off. Those are the two most important things we're trying to get disclosed along the way. But if I'm buying a subject to property, um, I want a mortgage statement. And by the way, most sub twos that we buy or a lot that we buy are in pre-foreclosure, meaning the mortgage statement that is being originated today isn't the same as it may have been six months ago pre-default. So I need to know what it is today and a pre-default. So I get all the terms of that loan, loan balance, interest rate, things of that nature, PI payment, escrow payment. Is there a mortgage insurance associated with the loan? Things of that nature. I want to get a copy of the note and deed of trust if possible. So what if your borrower doesn't have it? Well, your borrower can contact the mortgage company and they'll finally email them a copy of the note and deed of trust. Sure. I want to get a copy of the insurance policy. If the seller doesn't have it, have them call their agent or the mortgage company. There's one out there. Because I want to know what that loss payee clause is. So I want to get enough information when I'm buying this property. I know what it is I'm buying and what I'm obligating myself to. Is but how between the investor who's buying it and the borrower itself? Um, things like the power of attorney to be able to negotiate in their behalf later in the process. Oh, absolutely. So in our disclosure packages, um, um, hang on just one second, guys. Yeah. Forgive me here. My coffee got cold. <laughs> Um, asking when my gals let me warm it up a little bit. Um, you know, we, we provide an extensive disclosure package between the seller and the investor buyer. In that package, it does include powers of attorney uh, specific to the property. 
It includes uh, authorization forms to communicate with uh, the mortgage lender. It contains things such as the due on sale clause disclosures, various other disclosures between the seller and buyer so that the seller knows exactly what they're doing. You know, can the seller ask for financial information from the investor? Sure. I have never seen it happen. They can. Uh, do they want to use a loan servicer? Do they want to, do they have all these things? Sellers don't know what they don't know. Correct. And even if there's a realtor involved, that realtor doesn't know what they don't know. Right. And rarely is a lawyer involved because usually the seller has no money to pay for one. Yeah. And so because of that, we try to idiot-proof these transactions with proper disclosures along the way so that everybody goes in, they have an opportunity to read the paperwork, understand what they're doing, and they move forward to the next level. So we go through a proper disclosure package, and I have a philosophy of we don't close that deal in one day. I like to wait a minimum of 10 to 14 days for closing. Why? I want to give the seller every opportunity to review that paperwork, to right. seek counsel of their choice, whether that's through a realtor, a lawyer, a financial advisor, somebody. Now, will they do it? Usually not, but it doesn't matter. I want to give them that opportunity. It's just a smart sure. thing to do. The only time you do something faster is if you are in imminent foreclosure. Mm -hmm. We close lots of deals the day before or two days before the foreclosure wow. out. And there are exemptions for that, that instance, different scenario. But if you have the time, give the seller some time just to do that. It's a fail-safe scenario. It's about learning how to be smart. It's how you're, you stay in this business for a long time by, by trying to be as smart as you possibly can along the way. Now, disclosure package is so important, getting the proper information. And if there is a law firm in Maybe this has already been accelerated for foreclosure. Maybe we have to contend with that law firm and or the mortgage company or both in order to get a uh, reinstatement type agreement from them. Mm -hmm. So we know what needs to be paid at the closing to bring this loan current. Gotcha. So you have to know those kind of things. Equally as important if you're buying a sub two deal, you better know how to navigate insurance. Mm -hmm. Because what if I'm getting a new insurance policy or if I'm going to sell this home using a wraparound loan to my, my wrap buyer over here and they're getting a new policy, that wrap buyer and the original seller need to be co-insurance on that insurance policy because if not, the lender, when they get that policy, will kick it out. So you have to learn how to navigate these things. Now, so let's, we have, go ahead. Now, let's say we're going to shift gears here because I want to move towards for the note buyers who are listening in who are probably going, I don't understand any of this stuff and I'm never going to originate no. So let, I want to shift gears to the point where we're going to talk more for flip to the other side of things and for the note buyer who's going to be subject to borrower, sell it to an investor, this investor then wraps that note, right? And then I come in and I'm going to buy that wrapped note for those who may not understand this stuff, typically what happens is that original note may be a two, three, four percent note. I come in, I buy the note, I or buy the, the subject two part of it. <clears throat> the borrower sends it to me. I now take over payments on that three, four percent 
I then sell that note at nine, nine and a half, ten, whatever I'm selling it at, and I'm going to make payments to that first or pay off the first. Those two scenarios we'll get into in a second. Now, as a buyer, before we get into if we're going to pay off the first or not, how do I properly get that power of attorney transferred to me for, say, Nathan, who was the investor who purchased the subject to part of it? That's a hard thing to do. So I thought so. Years ago here in Dallas, some of my buddies and I in a meeting one day kind of coined this term called sub three. You now you got sub two, now you got sub three, which is the buying of the wrap notes, but leaving the existing mortgage in place. Mm -hmm. And again, to me, this is all about disclosure, where although you don't have to disclose certain things at this level, it's a wise thing to do. You know, I want to make certain first off that the person who bought this, the wrap buyer, you know, was given proper disclosures along the way. And again, most people- Just pause it for a second. I want to make sure people understand what that means. They have to be notified that there is a first lien that's subject to part of it. They need to know that because when they're buying it, they may think they're in first position and they pay off their loan. They need to know there's another lien there because that lien can foreclose on that property. That is absolutely right. And here and in Texas, by the way, guys, we have what is called the Texas Underlying Lien Disclosure Notice. Mm -hmm. And it is a mandatory seven days prior to closing. And if you do not provide that, the damages are substantial. And I, I have spoken to people that have not given that disclosure. And I just go, oh, my goodness. Like, must you know, do. And by the way, do. I don't know who, who drafts their mortgage documents for them. But when you're doing a wraparound loan, you're supposed to have language in those documents yes. that evidences the existence of the underlying mortgage, you know, in the deed and the note deed of trust, et cetera. And if you're not doing that, mm, that's a problem. Um, and I, I'm not so sure how you go back and, and do it again is, is the other problem, which it's already done. Um, so you have this wrap mortgage that exists. Mm -hmm. Hang on, there's half a second. Would you please? Nathan, you're sitting in the chat. I have a couple of the questions that are coming in too. So, yeah. This is one um, of the questions that I started drilling at you, I think. So, um, you know, when we're going to buy this wrap note, how can you, you know, if I'm going to buy the wrap note, I want to make certain I get all the information about the underlying mortgage. This is if I'm buying the house originally. What is the note due to trust? What was the, and by the way, when we do a, a subject to transaction, we're always going and trying to go online to the mortgage company, change the address. So once I've either bought the property or I brought the loan current, I start getting the mortgage statements so I can pay those appropriately. Mm -hmm. I should have access to a current mortgage statement. I want to make sure I see that. I want to know that that underlying debt is current payments. I want to know, is there an online account set up where I can get the password transferred to me? I can then navigate that account appropriately and change the address so that those are mailed to my attention now so I can pay those. And by the way, if you should be using a loan servicer in these cases, and of course, as we're navigating the back end of this, I want to leave that loan servicer in place so things don't change. 
Yeah. I want it to be consistent on behalf of that mortgage company. I want the same servicing company to be sending that check every month. And I don't want to change that. But as the, the wrap note buyer, I want the information from the seller of this wrap note to provide me this information. I want the underlying note, deed of trust, the insurance. I want that most current mortgage statement. I want that online password. I want all of the seller's original information they should have had in their contract and things of that nature that's out there. So for me, as a wrap note buyer, I'm a first position guy. I, 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 that's important to me. I always want to be in first position. So for me, in a wrap situation, I would want to you know, buy the note for whatever price, including paying off the underlying first so that right. so let's use some numbers here so, by the way if people. you do that yeah all the things we're talking about go uh, away right the issue there is is that requires a lot more capital right because now you've got to buy the entire note or rebind and pay off that underlying debt yeah whatever it might be get it yeah. that's the easy part of the note buying business i think the only issue there is is and by the way as to the origination of that mortgage etc all that stuff is gone because of the underlying debt because you paid it off. It's sure. a non-issue anymore. The only issue you've got now is, is to ensure that that borrower has the ability to pay mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Was the investor under Dodd-Frank at the time that this was originated? Right. Did they process the buyer to determine that? And then based upon many variables such as the pay history, the down payment, things of that nature, make that decision is it worth going ahead and buying this note right. so let's give going, us some numbers for those people who are curious because i think we're getting some questions regarding like they don't understand this what we're trying to do why, so, why is this worth let me let me lay this out as simple yeah. as i can then. so investor a buys a property subject to the existing debt that debt is left in place so now the seller is no longer the owner of the property they became they become more or less the bank to the, yeah. to the investor A, in, in a sense. Yeah. From there, they um, they um, they own the property. They're navigating this loan. Maybe they brought this mortgage current because it was in default. Uh, whatever that might look like uh, out there along the way. Um, let me let me give some numbers for people that probably easier. So I know Marshall had a question. Why would anyone do this? Let's imagine you have a subject to fifty thousand dollars first balance loan, right? And that's a three percent interest rate. I come in, but Nathan comes in. He's the investor. He tosses subject to gets it situation, and then he wraps it with the borrower. Scott's mm -hmm. the borrower. He wraps that loan for one hundred and fifty thousand. Gets twenty five thousand dollars of down payment, right? Now that loan's $125,000 lien at say 10%. So he now has a $50,000 first balance at 3%. So he can continue paying that. And he has a loan for $125,000 at 10%. Now he may have got into this wrap for five, $6,000 with that subject to buyer or subject to borrower, the original borrower, and says, listen, I'm going to give you five grand. You move out, we'll make things happen. I'll pay for everything. So that that first initial investor, me, I'm out five grand. I sell to Scott, the new borrower, 
he gives me $25,000 down. I'm now positive 20 grand. And that's your Nathan comes in as a note buyer and says, listen, I see you have a $125,000 lien and a $50,000 first. I'll pay off the first, but I'll pay you $75,000 for the, your $125,000 loan. I now pay, he'll pay off the first for 50. He's now into a $75,000 first lien now for $25,000 at a 10% yield. Marshall, I'm thinking that would probably kind of solve your question there. And why would anyone do that? I think the yield is probably pretty good. Killer deal. Yeah. So the reason you do, when you buy a mortgage and you pay all cash for that mortgage, then you're buying the face rate of that mortgage. And if you're buying it at a discount, do the math of what your yield is on that mortgage. 9%, 12%, 16 whatever it might be, okay? Mm -hmm. But in order to accomplish those higher yields, you're typically buying it for a discount and you need a note seller to be willing to sell that to you at a discount. So that's the easy math you describe. And it doesn't matter how that loan was, was bought and then sold. Now, the question becomes, the investor buys this home subject to the debt. As you said, it has a 3% interest rate on it. Mm -hmm. It's at this... Let's say the loan balance is $70,000 and investor A who bought that home subject to sold it for $150,000. I sold it. I'm, sub, I'm, I'm investor A. I'm going to sell it to Scott, who's the buyer. He's a new borrower. We're using the original number, $50,000 first. I buy it. I get into that property for five, six grand for the subject to with the borrower. I sell it to Scott. For the property maybe worth 150 grand, 130 grand. I'm gonna sell to Scott, my new borrower, for $150,000. And I take 10, 12, 20% down on that loan. And then Nathan comes in as the, the, the note buyer, the wrap buyer, and he's gonna pay off the first or keep the first and keep making payments to that first. But the problem we're running into is that power of attorney from the original borrower, right, has to transfer from me who bought the subject to, right, to Nathan. Now he needs a power of attorney from the original borrower of the subject to part to be able to act on behalf of that borrower to deal with that first lien asset. Would that be accurate? That is accurate. The problem, of course, is how do you get it? And the great okay. odds are you're not going to get it. Gotcha. That's number one. Number two, if you are investor A who bought the home subject to and you have the power of attorney between you and the original seller, you know, and let's say Nathan is investor B who uh, wants to buy the note, unless you can go to that seller and get a new POA, which is problematic, mm -hmm. then maybe Nathan can get the POA from you relative to this property. You provide him your original so he controls so both of Simon them. a POA. <laughs> More or less, but I'm not sure how else you can do that. Yeah. And so there's a certain navigation there. Now, by the way, if you handle these transactions properly, the great odds of having to deal with the mortgage company, the great odds of having to provide this power attorney to the mortgage company somewhere along the way, slim to none. Mm -hmm. Why? I like to recommend and suggest you navigate 
everything online. And so long as that loan is current and maintained current, so yes. long as you have the access information online to navigate everything, the, the great odds are you don't have to worry about it, okay? But could mm -hmm. you? Yes. Would I, would, so if I can't go back to that original seller, I can't get a direct POA, I'll at least get one from investor A so that I at least have his and I have his original POA that I can provide to either a future title company or I can provide to the mortgage company as needed. So in other words, you do the best you can. Like anything else, there's always a little risk to our business and how we navigate this stuff. When I enter into these kind of transactions and I buy this wrap mortgage, you know, this $150,000 sale, $25,000 down, a $125 note at 10%, let's say, and this underlying debt might be $75,000, whatever it is, at 3%. Well, obviously, you know, yeah, I'm getting 10% on 125. I'm only paying 3% on 75. You're making 7% on the 75. You're making 10% on the difference. Not a bad yield return overall. Mm -hmm. And this really is a cash flow game along the way and how you look at this. And I'll give you an example of what, what I mean by that in a moment and how you kind of play the sub two game uh, with wraparound notes in the back end and things of that nature. But it's just, you, you get as much as you can get. It's knowing what you need to get in order to make sure you document your file. You know, I want to get the entire collateral package to the wrap buyer. Get as much info. And hopefully this investor did something rather than just willy-nilly going out there and sell it with no information. Hopefully there's at least a 1003 application, right? You know, did he get tax returns? I don't know. I hope so. Was he under Dodd-Frank? Maybe I want to have him sign an affidavit saying that when this loan was originated, he did not have to do this in some format. Now, by the way, remember, you're not exempted from the SAFE Act. You might be exempted from Dodd-Frank, but you still should have done this. And the question becomes, are we as a note buyer, who's a third-party note buyer, do we get catapulted into that note seller's position or not for failure to originate? I don't have that answer. Mm. Could it be a, a possibility? Maybe. Uh, there, there's probably some uh, difference there that we're not, but we aren't the person who originated it. I think the liability lies with the person who originated. So again, as that the buyer of this wraparound note, I believe what we need to do is just be very wise, gather as much information as we possibly can, get the collateral package, the note buyer, whatever, or the wrap buyer, get the entire contract package and disclosures, et cetera, between the seller, find out what was out there. Find out, did investor A, who bought the subject to deal, did they give the seller a deed of trust to secure performance in some format? Mm -hmm. in order to protect them in case something happens to you as an investor. Point, Scott. So most people don't know what you're saying there is that we were talking with a rap loan, uh, rap buyer the other day about this, you know, performance deed. And we said, you can't do deed and lose with stuff. And he said, no, it wasn't for that. It was for the fact the investor who's getting into the subject too, it's a deed of a performance that if you fail, that that, that 
face of that property will revert back to that original subject to deed owner, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's So great. one of the questions that came up was uh, from our, 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 our few people we had, um, one was a great comment from Investor Addicts, but I'll get to that in a second, from Cindy uh, Coleman, which is one of our regulars. Would having two a co-insurers, two, uh, you two, two uh, co-insurers on an insurance policy be a tip-off for the bank for a due-on-sale clause? Well, again, you have to understand, a mortgage company wants their borrower to be an insurer. Yeah. So just gotcha. if the home buyer, the rap buyer buys this property, they have to be an insured because they're now the actual owner of the property. Right. Now, remember, someone has that seller's, the original seller's power of attorney to handle the real estate, the insurance, the taxes, et cetera, on that property. And it's just a, a fail safe for protection in that instance. I'm not worried about the seller per se from the insurance policy's perspective, but you have to have that there. And it's just, or else the insurance company will kick it out. Excuse me, the mortgage company will kick it back out. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, investor had it corrected. So, uh, Tanya Collins asked, could you in the POA, what if the POA gives permission to the investor A and it's signed? Can you put, an assignment inside of a POA to kind of resolve that because you know you're probably going to sell the note in the future? Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you start talking about things like this, yeah, we can get off in the weeds so fast. Yeah. You know, can a seller give, can I give David a POA and at the same time authorize David to give Nathan a potential POA whose name I don't know. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I don't know that answer. Could you put it in there? Maybe. Would it work? Maybe. But I think if David gave a POA to Nathan and Nathan has both of those original POAs, mm -hmm. I think Nathan at least is in the best position he can be in most gotcha. likely. That's the cleanest. Yeah. And again, so for, yeah. If you're going this to do a deal like this, and, and guys, this is truly a cash flow business, okay? Yep. Yeah. Sometimes it is a legitimate equity business that we all look for. Oftentimes it's a cash flow business as well because you're able to capture great interest rates along the way. But the key to preventing the negativity that can come out of this. So A, when you go into it, you got to realize What's the worst things that could happen and be prepared to handle that. Okay. Mm -hmm. If something was to come up, am I prepared to pay off that debt one way or the other, sell my note, pay it off with cash, finance it at a bank, whatever it might be, you know, cover your rear and make sure you've got the ability to do that. Yes. That's, that's not the hard thing to do. You're always looking at playing devil's advocate so that if the worst does happen, you're able to do it. That's what keeps your noses clean out there. If you can't do that, I don't know how to play the game well enough. You may not want to do the game then. Right. Um, and I'll give you an example of that too. But the other thing is, is besides understanding those things and knowing what your exit strategy is, is be prepared to make your payments. What if your borrower 
your note that the wrap buyer defaults? What if they file bankruptcy? Real life things happen, right? Mm -hmm. You have to continue making that payment regardless. And that's where a lot of people in the investment community go south. Yeah. Well, my buyer didn't pay me. I'm not going to pay the mortgage company. If you're not willing to play that game, don't play the game at all. Mm -hmm. So we get the, so if our buyer defaults, by the way, my default rate, guys, for the last since 08, 09, under 1%. Wow. I wish it was a lot higher because I've got tens and tens and tens of millions sitting out there in equity I'd love to capture. It just mm -hmm. doesn't happen. So let me just, ask you the, the situation that I was talking about where if I bought that wrap and I would want to pay off the first, does that work? Is that, is that a viable yeah. solution? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You know, some examples real quick, you know, a negative example, I'll give you a, yeah. a positive one. So have a, a house here in the DFW area where seller sold the house to an investor Mm -hmm. using David's land trust. Great. They leased the house. Well, the problem is, is when they did this transaction, the lawyer who, the lawyer who closed the property gave the seller no protection at all. There's no vendors lien the deed. There's no deed of trust. There's no nothing. Okay. So investor A assigned the note to investor B. And of course, no one told the seller who investor B was. No notification, nothing. We see that often. Yeah. They just do it. I'm going to put assignment fee, move on. That's what they think. They don't think about the worst case. Well, what's investor B done now? They haven't made payments. The tenants mm -hmm. moved out. There's $15,000, $20,000 of work to get this house back to market value. And the house is going to foreclosure. And the seller can't get the house back to protect herself without filing a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And why is investor be not paying? I don't know. If you're not yeah. willing to play the game the right way, don't play it. Those are the guys that give good guys like y'all bad names. We don't want that. We want so, these guys out of the business. I just posted in the, in the, the stream that our, a financial calculator for those. Just I was running some numbers just to give some idea for people. Let's say that there was a $100,000 first balance when, the, when borrower A uh was getting into the asset and it was a hundred thousand dollar note at three and a half percent. He bought it three, you know, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was. And it was a three and a half percent. Their P and I was, is three thirty. It's a 30, 30 year mortgage, three thirty six seventy eight. I then subject by the subject two. I then sell it to Scott, the borrower, borrower two at a 9.9%, which equates to a $1,087 month payment. And mm -hmm. we're looking at almost $700 in profit between those two numbers. So could you hold that and pay $336 a month and be basically tapping $700 a month payment? Absolutely. Yep. So what we're saying here is to deal with all the issues of POA and deal with the first borrower and that worrisome, it's much easier to go say, forget it. I can either pay $25,000 and get into that whole world Right, and have a hundred twenty-five thousand note and a fifty grand note there, or I can flip it and say I'll instead of pay twenty-five, I'll pay seventy-five, pay off the fifty through escrow, and then have a twenty-five thousand dollar payment to 
made, and mm -hmm. now his loan, there's no $50,000 balance. He's now into a situation where he's buying a hundred, uh, basically a $75,000 first lien for 25 grand. And then he's getting 1,087 a month. So that it, if that sounds confusing, don't do it. Better yet, give your money to Dave and I, and we'll go do it. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be, if you run the yield on that, I'm going to run it alive when we're talking here, and what the return is on this thing, right? I now know if what your I, game is. Guys. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, I see people jump on the, the thing, so I'm going to run on a different site here so you guys can play with that one. Um, but well, Let me give you an example, Dave. I mean, just, just in the same light of what you're doing, and this is from the originator's perspective, but it's the same game. So we're looking at buying a home right now where there's $145,000 first lien, three and a half percent. Yeah. I've got to pay the seller $30,000 to buy this property. It needs $17,000 of work. Mm. So I'm all in it. Let's, let's call it 190 for easy numbers. And the house has a value of... 290. Nice. But I have to create the value by putting money into it. Sure. And in this case, the seller is a little desperate. They're out. They've got another house. They can't afford two payments. The house can't sell the way it is. I should have the money to fix it. Mm. So she's stuck coming to an investor to buy it, unfortunately. Um, and they need to move quickly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't have time to do anything else. So I'm going to be out of pocket by the time I pay this $30,000 to $17,000, my interest carried taxes, et cetera. I'm some 53, 55,000 out of pocket. But first off, you need money to play the game or the ability to borrow money to play the game. Yeah. Secondly, as you said, when I sell my house for, let's say 290, I might get $29,000 down payment. We'll talk about a, a down payment in a moment. And maybe I've got to pay a commission to a realtor or somebody who brought that deal into me, but maybe I net 20,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. If I take that $20,000, it diminishes my 55 to 35,000 out of pocket. Okay. So I still needed that 35,000 out of pocket to play this game. But my positive cash flow between what the buyer is paying me and what I'm paying the mortgage company is $1,500 a month. You wanted to use a quick calculation. Hey, what's the return on your 35? It's huge. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you borrowed that 35 from a private lender. You're paying them a 6% rate, an 8%, a 10%, whatever that number might be. Leveraging it up. How fast could you pay it off? Right. Two years, two and a half years. Now your borrower owes you $160,000 in a couple of years. What do you owe the mortgage company? Maybe 140. Look at that. You've got this huge spread. So then the wrap buyer, the uh, the investor who wants to buy that wrap loan comes in, and you've got this huge equity spread that you negotiate with your investor. Pay them twenty-five thousand dollars in order to get this wrap loan, where it might be. Now you capture this $1,500 a month positive cash flow for the $25,000 cash. Maybe you had to pay them $35,000. Maybe you got to pay them $50,000 for it. It's still an awesome return. I'm just sitting here running the numbers real quick with my handy dandy. Yeah, while you're doing those numbers, I figured out that Nathan bought my deal 
he's getting a 17.28% return on that money right there. Yep. Mine's a 36% return, by the way, what I just yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. And I look at and that and I go, yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask anyone out there in the space who's getting 17s and 30s right now. Believe me, when we first got started, 30s and 40s were all over the place. They were great. But you tell me where you're going to get your 20s and 30s on a regular basis besides buying these wraps. So I know we've come a long way to get here, but yeah. this should start opening windows for note buyers as well as wrap buyers, people buying wrap or creating wraps that you can speak to us, me and Nathan, no one else will buy these, right? And we, and sell it to us. We'll pay you really good money for your note. And I promise you- Cash you out. For you. Cash yes. you out. You go do it again. Let's, let's yeah. be friends. And hey you guys, can buy three more. Let me make a mention of this. So this is a learned system mm -hmm. that you have to understand. You have to understand the acquisition mechanisms, how you do it the right way. You have to understand how do you do a wraparound mortgage the right way? What are the influences out there? By the way, like here in Texas, yes, we have the SAFE Act and Dodd-Frank, these things that we have to comply with, right? But we have our Texas property code, which is a little bit more strenuous than they are in other states. Hmm. We have two different documents that must mandatory to be provided to the buyer, a minimum of seven days in advance of closing. And if you don't, and if you don't close in a law office or a title company, it's void, not voidable, it's void. Hmm. That's pretty heavy. If you don't provide these disclosures properly, they can ask for their money back at any time. Five years from now, they can ask for it back, and you may have to pay back everything, down payment, all monthly payments, PITI, et cetera. They wow. put some serious teeth in it. So you have to understand that these things are out there. Now, we get it very well here. This is what we do, and we're on top of this, and we, we follow it. And then they have this new wrap mortgage lending law says if you do more than three transactions in 12 months, you have to be a licensed RMLO, and your company has to be registered with the state of Texas. For the savings and loan administration. Now we we comply with all that, and we have we have ways to get around it here in the Texas marketplace. Now, I really doubt any other state has that out there. We have it because we're one of the biggest states for this, because of our borders with Mexico and things of that nature create the situation. But if you're going to play that game in the Texas marketplace, you need to know this so you can ask the right questions up front in advance. And of course. Well, it was real quick, Gil. We're not sure we understand your question, so I apologize. Um, Nathan, do you understand Gil's question at all? I don't, sorry. Okay, so if you can reword it, or whatever, I know we'll be finishing it pretty soon. This will be recorded to be on YouTube and Facebook and link to everything else. So feel free to check it out. We'll also have a podcast as well, which will be all audio. Uh, I'm not sure if we fully understand your question there, so um, so yeah. I'm I'm hoping that everybody in your world, Scott, everybody that that you're connected with is is getting the vision of what is possible when they sell that note. Yeah. Yes. And it, this is this is the group we want to come to DME. Come meet yes. us. We are we're dying to buy your stuff. Yes. So come and well, this meet is us. Awesome. Creating and creating reps, but it's DME is not expensive to go to. The, the hotel rooms are 200 bucks a night. It's one of the cheapest places you can go to. Come get down to come, DME come, come. in June and you know check out because you're going to meet people like Nathan and I who are going, we'll buy it for you and you're going to get a killer return because you can go do this multiple times. 
Yeah. And we'll keep funding it over and over again. Come meet us. Now, this, guys, this is an awesome business. Yeah. yeah. We want people to learn how to do it the right way. Absolutely. Yes. We want, if you're in, if you're the originator of this paper, please learn how to do it right. Yes. Don't be just haphazard about and do it. Understand there are consequences that can happen. Take the time and get yourself educated properly. Next, I understand that in the marketplace, people aren't like me. They're not the rehab. I love rehab. Maybe you're just a note buyer that you don't yeah. have the time or the ability to do it. You want to buy the note, you're happy making a, 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 a lower return. Got it. Got it. But you still have to learn the basics of the business have resources for doing it and realize what can be done out there and yeah. it's a lot of fun and there i don't know where else you invest your money to get the returns and yields that we get out there it's just it's yeah, not available and it's not at the, and i'm not putting my money in the stock market and watch that thing up and down 47 times a day no way yeah. you know it, it may not be as, as and i'm not doing multi-family there's a whole other world for that out there yeah people think it's just a the best thing, guys, what we're talking about today to me is awesome. It's been a business that is for the 30 plus years I've been in business. It's never gone away. Yeah. Interest rates rise and fall. I get it. Right now, you know, your, your, your banking rates are horrible from where they were 10 years ago. From where, where they were a year ago. They've gone yeah. up 3%, you know, or more. Right. And it makes changes. And sometimes learning this thing we're talking about gives you an advantage to uh, capture some better rates and better returns than going to your, your local bank that's out there right now. But there's a knowledge base that we want you know everybody to learn because again, knowledge is power in our business. Yeah. So then given given our current climate. Uh, this is our final question, everyone. Your current climate. How are you talking Canadian climate or are you talking to Texas? <laughs> I'm talking Texas. Real estate climate. Talking real estate climate. Like we're, we're, you know, we're seeing rising interest rates dip down a little bit. It's going back up. Uh, inflation, all these things. It, it sounds like a perfect, perfect storm for seller finance, creative finance people. Is that accurate? I think it is 110% accurate. Yeah. Um, my offices, we are both a cash buyer, we are a terms buyer. Uh -huh. But as you know, our banking rates have been increasing. It doesn't matter you don't still buy a good deal for cash when it comes across the table. But we are turning our focus more to the creative finance side because it's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Fascinating. So what I'm hearing is there's tons of opportunity for the note buyers and the note creative note sellers to get together and and Come together and really married. Come on, money. Yeah, we can do a lot of really great deals. It's been awesome. A while, Scott. It's been a really pleasure to have you on here. Having an attorney on here for some people is overwhelming, right? Um, some of you are scared of attorneys, which I I was one of them when I first got started. Um, but you're there to keep us safe, keep us protected, keep us out of jail, right? So I encourage those people. We have a, a I have a link inside the chat that you can go to, click a button. You get an automatic email with Scott's information. Reach out to Scott's team over there. Um, they're great. He'll answer a lot of your questions if you need to and get into stuff. If you're creating raps and stuff like that, please do it right. Because if you don't do it right, we can't buy it. Right. Bye. 
easy, uh, plain, and simple, and you can get yourself in more trouble. And guys, if I may, with your permission, just make a few comments. So sure. we have a company here in Texas. It's called the Owner Finance Network. And the email is theownerfinancenetwork.com. That's our vertically integrated company where all the people on your call and others can find all of our vertically integrated services from legal and title, not just in Texas, but national. I, don't, I can't represent anybody in other states, but we provide closing services for them along the way. Whether it's closing a note, which is pretty easy to do and or placing title on it, or is it um, the origination side of the transaction? We have our RMLO and loan processing services, OFN yeah. loan processing. We have our loan servicing here, OFN loan servicing, which is a partnership with Home Key Servicing. We have other things for the Texas marketplace that if you're in the Texas arena, you need to know OFN lending, which helps us to navigate these new rules and regulations out there. And of course, we just announced OFN National Escrow Services, our new entity, which is uh, for the escrow services to handle these kind of transactions on a national basis. Just because we find there's such a void out there uh, in this world of attorneys or other people who have a knowledge of this business out there. Mm -hmm. So if anybody has an interest, they can come check us out there and find all of our contact info and those kind of items. Sure. And the whole if you send an email to, if you fill out the form, we'll send you directly all the information he's, he's sharing with you now. So it's easy, plain, simple. You'll get the information emailed to you and it'll be in your inbox. Okay. And again, all we want to do is be a service to our community. Yep. This is a great business. We don't want it to go away. We don't want government come in and put more rules and regulations against us. And there is even a national owner finance uh, company that has a presence in Washington hmm. um, that is headed up by Eddie Speed and I think Glenn Lee out of Houston headed up. And they're out there fighting for us to make sure that Washington can come in and change the rules nationally as well and that we can maintain doing this business all the way through. That would probably be the same group with John Heyer and... and uh... It is. Who else is on there? Yeah. Jeff Watson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good guys. All the same. Yeah. All good people. We know all those guys. Yeah, really. But anyway, um, small community, as y'all say, we are tight knit out there, mm -hmm. but it's an awesome business. And uh, y'all just keep maintaining it and let's help everybody do it right. Help yeah. them make some more money too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I pleasure. Great. I, Thank I, you, I'm, Scott. It's been awesome to have you on here. Um, it's amazing that people don't know about this stuff. I was one of them. Um, but it's good to see the fact that we can have a conversation and bridge the connection between you guys and us or rich self-originators as well as no buyers uh, because business 2023 will depend on it. Um, and it'll be really awesome. So Scott, I appreciate okay. you jumping on with us and spend some time with us. Um, and Look for forward to doing it next time. And yes, you guys will we'll be soon, talking wrap loans for a while now. So I appreciate it. Thank awesome. you. Thank Nathan, you. stay warm in Canada, Bubba. Absolutely. Bye guys. Thank you.